from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's Tiny House Podcast. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. Perry's missing. Perry's got a cat emergency. Perry has a veterinary emergency, but that's okay. We're we're gonna we're gonna slough off the kitty blues, and uh, today we're talking to Kai Rostcheck. Uh, Kai, I, I met him. I had the the honor of meeting him last year at the Jamboree, and and it was a ton of fun. And uh, he's got his fingers in a lot of tiny house pies. <laughs> so we're get, we're definitely gonna hear about that. But we're gonna start off by saying, hey, good morning. How are you, Kai? Hey, I'm doing great. I am. Uh, I'm a little bit URL crazy, as you know. So I'm actually busy right now buying PerrysCat.com. Nah. That's available. That's okay because I'm buying tiny house pies. So maybe we can, you know, maybe we can IPO in a few months here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm doing great. It's it's awesome to be with you guys. Cool. Good. So we're gonna get started. We're just gonna talk. So how did you get? Into the tiny house movement. Um, tell us the story about how you discovered it and, and what inspired you. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of other people, somewhere along the line, some sort of tiny house porn crossed my feed, and I was like, "Wait, <laughs> what's that?" You wait know, a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Uh, you know, it's such a good track because of... you know you end up like getting out of bed in the middle of the night and going to look at tiny house, <laughs> stuff. And, then, and then you go from stills to looking at videos, and you're like, "Oh my god! Like this thing is so awesome." So, yeah, I mean, just I became an enthusiast like a lot of other people. And then, you know, the short answer is I'm not a builder. I just don't have those skills. I knew I'd want to be involved in the industry somehow because I'm kind of a business development slash marketing geek. And I like market research. So I was looking around trying to understand, like, what's going on with this market? Started to come to an understanding of what the driving factors are and what some of the opportunities are and started building out some websites and different organizations based on those interests. So, um, two questions. Who owns the URL Tiny House Porn? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good yeah. question. And I bet, it's, I bet it's actually Darren Zruba. I would bet you on that. I the bet second... you. I'm going to do a who is on it. Exactly. <laughs> I, um, I bet it is. Second question. So, timeline-wise, was that um, six months ago, six years ago? Where, where did it fall in the overall timeline of your life that you discovered Tiny Houses? Yeah, I really discovered it in early 2013 and just kind of kept looking at it for a year, maybe a little bit earlier than that, um, because it was back when there weren't many builders and kind of Tumbleweed was the big name in town, you know, but I didn't really get serious about looking at it until like the fall of 2013, and then in uh, the beginning of, very beginning of 2014, January was when I started doing research mode and understanding and building out different website properties. Do you live in a tiny house full time or are you a poser like me? No, I'm a poser. I live in, uh, I moved to Orlando a bit, about six months ago. I live in about a 350-square-foot apartment, um, which is plenty. I actually moved to that apartment with all of my belongings packed into the back of my Prius on an East Coast trip, and wow. there's plenty of room to see out the back. So I'm actually kind of designing, you know, we often talk about how the tiny house movement is not about the house, right? So for me, it's really about the kind of life that I want to live in the kind of lives that other people want to live. That's the, really the most interesting part. And um, I definitely want to set it up so that it fits my lifestyle. And the cool thing is, as I'm looking at different designs, I can literally design my tiny house around my belongings because I've already done the downsizing. 
So I know precisely how much space I need, how I live, what goes where, et cetera. So I'm kind of psyched about my own approach to it. And I'll definitely get there within the next probably two years. That's awesome. So um, tell us a little bit about, you said you're a marketing geek. Is that, is that your career path? Is that your passion? Yeah, it is. I mean, I love marketing. My passion is really in, in power and people, right? So I, I do a nine to five thing. I work with a software startup company that's awesome. I love the people that I work with. The company's values are awesome. I mean, real old fashioned leadership of taking care of your own, having a great product. So it's a lot of fun. And I do get to geek out in the tech space, which is cool. I'm also passionate, as you know, about growing businesses that empower people. So that leads into things like tiny house dating. That leads to individual connections, tiny house lending. That helps people actually get the capital that they want to start their dreams. The uh, Living Tiny Legally Project, which is actually a documentary that's underway right now with collaboration with Tiny House Expedition. I think you know those guys. Um, So all sorts of things. So... I love living a very full and active life, and tiny houses are a huge part of it. But again, it's not just the house. It's really, for me, a huge sense of community in those relationships that I've been developing through that. I couldn't have written a better segue if I even tried. <laughs> well, you know it, because you, you guys were at the jam last year. And you, you, I mean, you tell me. Remember that feeling about meeting your peeps? Yes, it was so cool. Yeah, it I mean, felt like, remember we all said it was like, it was like Facebook come to life. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Exactly. It was so, such a blast. So we're going to go through your projects kind of one at a time. You've already laid them out so lovely. <laughs> so uh, Tiny House Dating, was that your first foray into tiny house marketing and, and, uh, and social media projects? Yeah, and, you know, oops, what a surprise that was. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> it was like lightning in a bottle. So, you know, the net was I was trying to understand what's going on with this market. Like, what are the drivers? Like, really, why are people going tiny? And there's a whole bunch of different answers. But what I started boiling it down to was basically there's two things that are kind of convalescing. One is definitely shifting socioeconomics. We could break that down ad nauseum, right? Another is definitely changing values. People want more engaging lives and less working for corporate bullshit jobs and commutes that they don't want to slave and not have much money left at the end of the bank anyway, at the end of the month anyway, right? So while I was doing all this research, I was going through forums and all sorts of stuff, and I saw several times people were saying, hey, I'm crazy about this tiny house thing. I've either done it already or I'm definitely going to do it, and that's for me. And I'm also single, and I, I would love to find, you know, romantic partnership. But when I go on Match.com, things seem to be going well until I start talking about tiny houses. And then it's like, <laughs> crickets chirping. And I'm like, I'm like oh, that's sad. I like, agree. That's so sad. Did, like, it goes from so empowering and, and, and enlivening to so depressing and lonely, hmm. like, so quickly. And I was like, well, it can't be that hard to build, like, a dating website and... You know, I love matchmaking people. I've done it successfully in my real offline, in the world life several times. And I was like, well, I mean, I could probably buy a $50 WordPress theme and have somebody help me configure it and put it on shared hosting. And, you know, maybe we'll introduce some people to each other and it'll be cool. So, yeah, that was my that was my first foray into really kind of business building, if you will, in the tiny house world. I didn't. I didn't get to uh, to participate or um, or even see them. But I hear that the sort of tiny house dating discussions. Or didn't you have a? Um, didn't you also do some sort of group discussions around tiny house dating at the jam as well? 
Yeah, we did a lot of fun stuff, actually. So we did some um, it, it kind of informal just getting to know people, networking, which I'll come back to in a second. And we also had kind of like a live bachelorette, tiny house bachelorette show, which was a ton of fun. Of course, we had uh, myself and Andrew Odom as the hosts. And you guys know Drew. So it was a barrel full of oh. laughs. We had a you know, special guest star um, you know, it was just, it was awesome. I, I loved it. Jay Schaefer was actually one of the participants. It was great. And I actually met some great friends. And out of that dynamic, actually, uh, a couple, I don't know if I should name them, but um, one of my good friends ended up connecting with somebody who was one of the bachelorettes in wow. that. And they're now living in his tiny house in Austin, Texas. So, we you know, cool, him, cool things. We interviewed him two weeks ago. Two yeah. Weeks awesome. Ago. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Alex. Yeah, exactly. Alec Lefeski, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very cool. So, yeah, as you know, the jam was a ton of fun, but at the other hand, I couldn't be at all places at all times, so I missed it. I heard it was a blast, so. It was. It was so much fun. And, you know, one of the points I was making in there is one of the exercises that, that we did was just getting people who might have come alone or come from different places to get to know each other. And in terms of tiny house dating, I loved getting that feedback from people on the site who might have gone on a first date and said, hey, you know, I, I want to let you know I went on this date. And it wasn't necessarily like the romantic kind of erotic connection that I might look for in somebody. But what an awesome person. We had a great conversation. Definitely to consider this him or her to be somebody I want to be friends with. So thanks for introducing us to each other. And I thought, wow, that is so different than the first date horror stories you usually hear. So, you know, being able to introduce people to new friends, that's Awesome. So are you seeing that there, in some cases, are there people without tiny houses that are kind of wanting to meet people that live in them as well? Or is this just primarily tiny house to tiny house connections? Yeah, absolutely. So when I launched the site, um, we were really explicit in saying, you know, tiny house dating isn't just for people who live in tiny houses. It's more than that. It's about people who share values. Again, it's really not about the house, yeah. right? Yeah. It's about sharing common values where the kind of life you want to live and the contribution you can be in the world is more important than your stuff. Well, and so. that really resonates with minimalists, essentialists, yeah. environmentalists, you know, yeah. a, whole, a whole bunch of populations outside of the tiny yeah. house. Yeah. Well said. So let's switch gears a little. Let's talk about tiny house lending. Um, I originally, you know, I, I, I used to have the opinion that people don't build tiny houses because they don't have money or can't get money. So I want you to address that as well. But... Then I found out I was actually zoning issues that keep people more so than anything from building. But on the lending side, um, talk a little bit about tiny house lending, um, your successes, kind of how you came across that idea, and, and dispel the myths, if possible, that tiny houses are tough to finance. Yeah, I, I will. I'm gonna. Uh, I don't want to bypass what you just said about zoning, though, because it's such a critical issue. And I'm gonna take a minute and kind of characterize the market as I see it. I think it's important for understand people to understand where we are, where we're going, and what that's gonna mean in terms of how the movement evolves. And then I'll drill down kind of from in that context to finance. How's that sound? Perfect. All right, cool. So I kind of think of the tiny house movement as a burrito, right? It's got these skinny ends and it's fat in the middle. <laughs> a good burrito. Awesome. Okay, good. And it's tasty. Yeah. Right? We like visually. We like visuals in yeah. podcasts. Thank Especially you. with food. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. So and what I mean by that is we've got these two ends to the movement right now. On one end, we've got people who are cash buyers. Okay, and on the other end, uh, and they're they're when I say buyers, they're literally buying from builders, right? So this tends to be people that are buying, let's call it thirty five thousand dollars and up, 
right? And then on the other end, you've got people that are the cash builders, right? So they're buying materials and they're, they're do-it-yourselfers, right? And I'd say right now the split is probably 75% do-it-yourselfers, 25% people buying uh, cash from builders. Yeah, I agree. Okay? That totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a little bit allegorical, but it's also based on some of the numbers that I've seen as well. It's a, it's a hard one to pin down. But here's the thing. If you add up those two segments, I still think that only accounts for about 10% of what the total market is. So then the question becomes, well, wait a second, Kai, where's the other 90% of the market? And my point is it's waiting. It's waiting precisely, Michelle, on what you talked about in terms of zoning regulations as well as insurance. And I would even go so far as to say it's waiting on a turnkey regular commercial experience, right? Now, granted, people like to think of the tiny house movement as being anti-consumerist, and to a certain extent it is. But when I was in that research mode, looking up and finding things like tiny house dating and the need for tiny house lending, what I found was the average Twitter follower of, so, uh, of some of the influencers that we're friends with was a 36-year-old woman who was college-educated, had a $60,000-a-year job, uh, shopped at Nordstrom and Starbucks. I was like, what? It radically changed my perception of who is interested in this movement, all the people that are consuming the tiny house porn, right? Because right. there's a huge gap between the number of people that are consuming tiny house material and the number of people who are actually buying or building tiny houses. In fact, in Kirsten Dirks' video of We the Tiny House People, Jay Schaefer says we sell – he was at Tumbleweed at the time, and he says we sell way more books and plans than actual tiny houses. It's almost like we're selling the dream. Right. Yeah, and agreed. that's one of the main motivators for me to get in on a business development perspective and try to change that because I don't want people to just sit on the sideline waiting living to live their dream. I want people to get actively engaged, but these big things like zoning and, and financing and insurance and all that stuff is a huge part of the friction that's kept keeping people from feeling like they can go tiny. So as we change these things and it becomes more of a consumer transaction where if somebody wants to order a tiny house, they can go to the local builder, walk through several different models, understand what their choices are to change their furnishing, you know, their furnishings or their fixtures or, you know, the colors or the windows or whatever, finance it, get it licensed and insured, get it titled and put on the road and know that they have a place to put it. Once we cross those, check those boxes, a lot of people who want to be in this movement for many different reasons, some of them are financial, some of them are social, you know, a lot of them are economic, will start just flooding into the movement. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, so what you're saying is not everybody likes to build and pray for money and build and pray for a spot like I did. Yeah, you're an outlier, <laughs> right? It's, and it's awesome. We totally, there's always outliers in any, any kind of trend, right? And we can feel the flood coming. I mean, like when 84 Lumber says, hey, now we've got tiny houses. You can buy them as shells. You can buy them fully finished. And by the way, we've got all the materials for do-it-yourselfers. And they've got, I think it's nearly 300 stores, somewhere between 200 and 300 stores in 30 states. That's big time. You know, in bare paint. Just came out with a yeah, new campaign. Yeah, did you see that ad? Sweet Tiny Houses, right? I mean, yes. It, anybody who's paying attention understands, like, the Oprah thing's been around for a long time. The mainstream media's been along. But now you have companies that are spending money 
associated with the tiny house movement. So it's, it's definitely getting there. Yeah. So yeah. kind of a long-winded way to give you the context for financing, but I think it's important to kind of set the stage on where the movement is and where it's going, right? Perfect. So right, tiny cool. house so, lending, we're gonna we're gonna segue back into that. Thank you yeah. very much. That was, I mean, that's that's great. You know, demographic type information that that uh, all of our guests present unique perspective, and that and that's really great information for our listeners. I appreciate your research. Cool. All right, so we'll segue back into tiny house lending, and essentially to break it down, it's hard to get financing for tiny house because, as pretty much everybody knows, it, it doesn't qualify for a mortgage, right? It's it's not a home. It doesn't meet the minimum score. For, it's not a home on a foundation according to standard HUD guidelines, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's portable, so it, it's just round peg that's looking for square holes to fit in and you know financial markets insurance markets are very heavily regulated so we need to find ways to innovate and come up with new new ways of lending so um, the way i like to position it is essentially tiny house lending works with companies that offer personal loans there's a lot of very very good reasons to use our service and to take a loan through our partner if you're in the right category which I'll define in a second, but it's not the only way to go about lending either. It's not even the one I would look at first. But first, I'll tell you what we offer, then I'll explain the circumstances that would lead you to want to do that maybe, and also what some of your alternatives would be. Cool? Perfect. Uh, uh, Kai, can we just take a break for one second? Absolutely. This isn't an actual break. The Catman's here! Perry (laughs) Cooper showed up! So welcome back, Perry. <laughs> so and and Kai already got the domain, Perry'skitty.com. So you're screwed there. He's squatting on it, but he's open to offers. But anyway. So welcome Perry and you. Hopefully the cat's okay. And back to Kai. Back yes. to Kai. Tiny house lending. Tiny house lending. So Hey Perry, it's great to have you back, man. So, yeah, so, <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, uh, so we're breaking. And hey, if you need a personal loan for vet bills, you know the supply. <laughs> it's not just about tiny houses. So, uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the structure of tiny house lending and you know options that are available for people. So, right now we work with companies that offer personal loans. Now, the first thing I'll say is there are a lot of companies that offer personal loans. Most of them are not good ones to work through for various reasons, um, including. Including they either offer too little money or they offer too high interest rates or they reject too many applications based on lots of assorted criteria that people don't realize when they go to apply. So you're really just wasting your time with an awful lot of these people that are saying, hey, apply to a personal loan through us. I know that because I've done it. Right? I've vetted out over over 100 financial institutions, including pretty much every main personal loan provider there is, wow. local banks, national banks, credit unions, you name it. Wow. It turns out that the personal loan actually is a very good product for our industry for a lot of different reasons. Number one, no money down. No, number two, no collateral required. Number three, you usually have an answer of if you're um, approved within a matter of hours. And if you approve the terms, which are non-binding, which means you don't have to accept the loan if you apply for it, you can typically have the full amount of funds deposited directly in your bank account within three to five business days, which means you have money to go to you know Home Depot, 84 Lumber, wherever you're going to buy your materials or your trailer, or give your deposit to your builder. Right? This is good stuff. It's extremely flexible. The lending institution doesn't care whether you're building or buying. They don't discriminate that way. Um, 
so it's in some of them actually even have do have programs set up for for you if you're going to buy from a quote unquote RVIA approved tiny house manufacturer. So a lot of good stuff. The biggest drawback to tiny loan tiny house loans as a personal loan though is because there's no money down and no collateral required. That means that it's pretty risky for the bank, and when they have more risk, it means they're going to charge more money. That's what I so was the interest rates on personal loans are often very, very high. When I say very high, a lot of it depends on your credit profile, your debt-to-asset ratio, your income history, all of that standard stuff. But generally speaking, you could be looking at a loan that's between 14 and, let's say, 24%. Now, that's, there's two schools of thought on this. Number one is people who were adults in the 1980s saw mortgages um, in the high single digits, low double digits frequently. They understand this anomaly we've been living in for the last close to 10 years now um, of 0% interest, 1% to 3% interest. It's not going to last forever. So just for historical context, it's not as crazy as it sounds. However, I always tell people you need to be very discerning to figure out if that's the right option for you. First of all, I would say explore other loan, explore other lending options, and we'll cover those in a second. But certainly, I would say where this category can make sense for people, and these are the people that we're off, that we're making loans for right now, is if you're in a situation where you can't borrow from friends or family, you can't borrow from a 401k, you don't have a local credit union who's able to offer you a personal loan, maybe with a few additional terms tied to it, but at a lower rate. You kind of tapped everything out. Really, it's a personal loan or bust, and you're renting right now. Let's just make up a number and say you're spending $1,000 a month in rent. In four years, you'll spend $48,000 in rent and have nothing, nada to show for it. That doesn't even include utilities, right? So if you could borrow $35,000 or $40,000, pay it back over a four- to five-year period of time, you probably end up spending about eight to twelve thousand dollars in interest and yes ouch that hurts but at the end of that you've paid off your home you own it outright you own an asset you don't have to pay monthly rent other than whatever your lot fee or something like that's going to be so overall it can make sense to use this as a platform to get ahead for right now does that make sense yeah actually that makes a ton of sense um i bootstrapped my project um i wouldn't necessarily recommend that it's a lot of work um, what you said makes a lot of sense. It sounds like the return, the ROI, the return on investment is pretty high. It can, it, but again, you get to run the numbers, and everybody's situation is is unique. I mean, some people around the country. When I give this analogy, and I just like to use it round numbers because it's easier for us to get our heads around. There's actually a calculator on the tiny house lending website on a page that's called "Should you know, Buy Versus uh, a Rent," right? And it walks you through this. So run the numbers on your own. I'd say. Um, but overall, you know, you talk to people from different parts of the country. Sometimes I say, well, $1,000 a month in rent, and they look at me like I have four heads. They're like, that's <laughs> stupid. Nobody would ever pay $1,000 a month. You're crazy. I pay and there's, other, and there's other people that are like, 1000 That would be awesome. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, every situation is the same. I mentioned some of those other products. What I would do if it were me looking to start my build or buy as soon as possible is, A, Michelle, I love what you did in terms of looking for promotional opportunities and sponsorships, right? You took a lot of money off the cost of your build by doing it that way. That's not a model that everybody you know, feels comfortable with or will be successful at. Yeah, so another yeah. thing to look at, I mentioned borrowing against a 401k. 
if you've got it, it makes a lot of sense because A, it's usually at a lower interest rate, and B, when you pay back the interest, that interest is going to you rather than to a bank. So again, with what we talked about, the interest that you spend, it makes a lot of sense. The other thing, too, is like borrowing from friends and family, right? Um, a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's a lot of money to borrow from a family member. And yeah, it absolutely can be. However, if you approach it like a business, you know, I talked to somebody the other day who's finishing up his degree. He's moving out to Northern California uh, to start a new job. He's going to be making X dollars a year. His wife's going with him. They've got a uh, son who's three weeks old, right? So his family might be able to help out if he positions it to him in a way of, look, in Northern California, it's going to cost me 1500 bucks a month to live no matter where I go, right? So for a family of three, it's going to cost that much. So I could actually take out a loan, easily pay you back $1,000 a month, and have my house paid for in four years if you can help me with some or all of it. Right. And now all of a sudden the family's like, oh, wait a second. This actually makes a lot of financial sense for you. We're helping you to get ahead. And if you can show me based on your income level at your new job that this is a reasonable percentage of your overall monthly take-home, let's call it 25%, then it might be a little bit less risky proposition for them too, right? I think if I had family um, that cared, I would like put you in touch with them and you could give that speech on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, hey, again, it's not for everybody, right? But until we get to a point where we've got a standardized market where it's really easy to walk and say, oh, I want to borrow this much for this way. And, uh, you know, the, you, people have to get creative. The other thing I will say, though, is even though there's some non-standard ways of approaching lending, some standard rules still apply, especially when you want to do a bank loan, a personal loan through one of our lending companies. So you do need to have decent credit, which is typically going to be you want to be mid to high 600s or better. If you're late on payments, you can kind of forget about it. People aren't going to give you a risky, risky loan if you're late on your payments. You know, bankruptcy right. within the last seven years is going to disqualify you, those kinds of things. On the other hand, we recently introduced a partnership with a new lender who's currently in five states, Florida, New York, New Jersey, West Virginia, and Arkansas. They'll be expanding to all 48 within the next few years. They offer a co-signer option. So if you've got like kind of mid to high 600 credit, you might not have extensive income history, you might have had a ding at one point, but you get somebody who's a co-signer who's maybe got a, a really good credit score in the 700s, that could drop your percentage rate by 7 to 10 points. It's a huge difference. Wow. So we're getting innovative there as well, and I would always encourage people, look for an option where you can have somebody co-sign as a backstop, right. where you're really responsible for it, and there's that understanding. And there, too, friends and family might be more comfortable with that. Instead of giving you loans directly, they're co-signing on a loan where you're going to make the monthly payments directly to the bank, and they're only going to backstop you if necessary. That makes awesome. sense. Well, I think like other loans, and you already brought this up too, a lot of people aren't necessarily looking at 14 or 18% interest. They're looking at their monthly payments. Right? Exactly. How much can I afford per month? And in that regards, considering these are tiny homes, can I mean, somebody may be paying currently 1000 a month. Uh, can they add an extra year on and actually get their payments lowered? Or is there kind of a cap on, on the loan side where now nah, this needs to be really knocked out within a period of, five years rather than a traditional like a home 30-year mortgage kind of thing? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So the providers that we work with right now offer up to 35 or up to 50, depending on who, uh, which ones you want to work with. And they typically structure it, the payback anywhere between three and seven years. I see. Okay. So, so yeah, to your point, if somebody wanted to do that and said, you know, cash flow is important right now, so, so let's get that payment down and actually save on what we're spending every month and do that. But your, your point actually, Mark, brings up a, 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 something else I want to tell people about is when you're adding in the cost of borrowing, make sure you you understand the total spend for your tiny house, including parking and utilities. And utilities are usually nominal, right? Right. right. Um, but parking can be pretty expensive. You know, I've seen places $450, $500 a month. So that's no laughing matter. If you don't budget for that, that could throw your whole equation out of whack. Sure. So, so adding on that then too, can somebody factor any portion of that into their house or is that just too risky? So it, 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 um, ask me that in a different way. So I understand so it a so bit so like say they want it, so they're thousand dollar a month on the build in the home, but they know it's going to be three hundred a month uh, paying rent out. Can they factor some of that money in? On the loan, yeah, so they yeah, have... they they absolutely can. Again, right. again, the uh, personal loan can be used for any purposes. Really, it can be used for vet bills, buying a tiny house, building <laughs> a tiny house, taking a vacation, consolidating another day. And that's one of the great things Perfect. about the personal loan. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You can look at your total spend, including rent, and say rent, and say, hey, I want to get a loan to cover that much. Again, if it makes financial sense sure. for you to do that. Sure. So how many people are are going after this kind of option? You know, it's amazing. Um, I'll qualify it this way. We could easily surpass $100 million in demand this year just through tiny house lending. Oh, right? that's nuts. What I mean, what I mean by that is those are people who have completed loan applications through our providers. Did you say $100 million? Yeah. Wow. Easily. Through right? that web, through the one companies website. Now. Through the one website, right? Through your through, through Exactly. Through wow. tinyhouselending.com. So there are some other direct providers that are starting to do some advertising in this space now as well, right? Um, however, I, I don't want to misconstrue this either. So far, we've had people, and actually we, get, we do get about a third of people who apply do get approved for loans, but a small percentage accept the loans, again, because the percentage rates tend to be pretty high and the numbers just don't work out for them when all said and done. Right. So, so but, again, that's a healthy indicator that as we get more volume, more lenders are taking a look for this, and you know that creates a justification for them to want to design products, whether it's through collateralization or a cosigner or you know GPS tracking devices or whatever, that allows them to actually get the cost of lending down. Yeah, right, and, and uh, mitigate some of their their loan risk. Precisely. So, so the so, okay, so the hundred. Let's let's refine that number a bit more then, because the hundred million dollars sounds more like a, it's a gross. So you got a, yes. so a third of the people actually finish. What's that? Mark? Get accepted. Yeah, for get the loan. accepted. So it's and like, then a percentage of those. So thirty-three percent of the hundred million. So then, if some percentage of those actually then follow through to take the loan. That's right. Exactly. Right. Okay. But like you said, though, the volume itself of applications is a an indicator, and b further justification for the lenders to actually be more conservative. Right, and let's again keep things in perspective. Right, on one hand. I've got some real data now that tells us something about our industry that we never knew before, right? On the other hand, $100 million in almost any other industry is a pittance, right. especially in the lending industry. Well, yeah. Right? Think, of, think about the, you know, a local bank that helps to finance McMansions. 
Right. You know, they, they do a hundred million a year easily without even making an effort. Right. So it's it's not quite an interesting enough market to them yet. However, the tiny house movement to a certain extent represents disruption of the status quo. There's a lot of disruption in the status quo in terms of peer-to-peer financing, microfinancing, personal lending, you know, new financial products that have taken place over the last seven or eight years. So again, Keeping in mind that we're on the we're we're outliers, we're at the very edge of the tipping point of this thing. I think it bodes very well for where we're going in a way that should make it easier for people who have good who are credit worthy to get finance. Well, and it could be a, a leading indicator that the tiny house movement is becoming more and more mainstream. Sure, absolutely. So. So this is uh, this is my startup type guy question here. So you can always tell me to stuff a cat in my mouth if you want. To. Um, do you uh, do you guys make money? Do you charge? How do you make money? Do you charge application fee? Is it just a based on the success fee when they do happen, or some combination, or anything you can share? Tasty kitty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lean startup guy as well, right? Yep. So we work purely on an affiliate model. And that means basically what we've done is the hard work of interviewing and in, in really filtering out all of these different lenders who kind of promise one thing and deliver another. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find a tiny house loan. Again, I've talked to hundreds of providers, right? This is, it's not easy. Anybody who's looking for one knows that. So what I've done is I've created the filter logic that allows you to go to our website and very easily select what's your, you know, do you know your credit score? If so, is it very good? Is it good or is it, you know, below average, right? So just simple check boxes. And then how much money do you want to borrow and what states you want to live in? And based on that, we present you with a lender that's the best match. It's going to give you the most likelihood of getting approved and the best terms, right? right? So from there, you click over to the lender's website and all of the information, your entire transaction occurs between you and the lender. We don't, we never even capture people's contact information. Right, so it's just pure affiliate marketing at this yep. point, yep. and I get paid a percentage of completed loans. Right, so again, I would be thrilled if we were doing a hundred million dollars in business, oh, yeah, of, right. in closed business. Right. right, I'd be funding podcasts. Right, right? <laughs> but, uh, but, but not not there yet. So you know, I've got a day job that I love, um, and we'll continue to have that for a long time. Yep. You know, at some point, hopefully, this builds to a point where it's a passive revenue that allows me to then help develop other tools for the industry, including insurance, right? Uh, things like municipal zoning that I'm very, hel- that I'm very, very concerned with and things like property development for tiny house communities and financing that development as well. Oh, Mark. So, so kind, of a, kind, of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of a follow up to that a little bit, I guess, but so do you see, and I realize you know, these are kind of personal loans in a way that can be used for cats to houses, so to speak, but do you see some of the lenders, I mean, ultimately, while this isn't an RV, this is a mobile house that you can move. So you can make the loan and they want to live in Portland and the next day they're heading to Austin. So all of a sudden their mailing address doesn't exist. What, what way does that kind of change the relationship with the lenders or, or do you have enough data on that even yet? 
Yeah, it really it really doesn't change the relationship with the lenders. You know, again, and this is you know on, on one hand because it's it's riskier. There's a little bit of a negative on the personal loan side, but on the positive is it's really very simple. It's do you have good credit history? Do you have good income history? Do you okay. have a, a reasonable debt to asset ratio? And if so, they're like, yep, you look like you're worth the, you know worth getting credit. So we'll give you the credit. Awesome. So it's a very very flexible product. It's not attached to you have to live in one place in one particular style or those kinds of things. Perfect. So we are almost out of time, but I definitely, definitely want you to comment a little bit on Tiny House Legal. How's the expedition going? Um, can, can you give us a brief synopsis? Yeah, so where that grew out of is, uh, Michelle, as you mentioned earlier, zoning is a big deal. And I actually really got this firsthand at the Jamboree last year. And at the Jamboree, I met Christian and Alexis, who are a couple of filmmakers, um, Tiny House Expedition. And they had a concept of creating what really was a two-year project about Tiny House communities and kind of what it's like to live in them, et cetera, et cetera. And we dovetailed and said, you know, what we really need is a leaner, faster-to-market product that's specifically about the way municipalities are handling the legalities of zoning, right? So it's not about the community building per se. It's about the legal infrastructure. And we decided that it would be really helpful for people who want to either approach their towns uh, about tiny house communities and, and or just tiny house zoning in general for individuals and how to make it legal and or for the actual people that are sitting on the policy boards to get a better understanding of what this is all about. Because frankly, we the tiny house people kind of walk in and start talking tiny houses all enthusiastically and other people are like, what? Like they just, they don't understand what we're talking about and yeah. we don't understand their language. Right. 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 In terms of social and legal and financial implications that they have to deal with as part of the reality of their jobs as paid professionals. Mm -hmm. So we set out to go around the country and interview uh, county members who were sitting in positions of authority that had either already uh, legalized tiny houses or were wanting to and were wrestling with some of the obstacles. And we wanted very candid exposés where they would tell us, here's why we're interested in tiny houses. Here are the things that we think are benefits to our community. Here are the things that are hard for us to deal with from a policy perspective and in ways we're looking at working with them. And here's what we hope to have as an outcome. And to capture that so that other policymakers around the country could hear it from their colleagues in short snippets, that's really easy to understand and hopefully very convincing as well. So last August, we started mapping that out, and it was amazing. There were It was really hard at that point to find anything that was really kind of quote-unquote successful. There were lists of on Facebook of quote-unquote communities, but they really hadn't broken ground. They really didn't have legal authority, et cetera. Um, and even since last August, we're now talking in April, so over the last seven or eight months, all of a sudden now Dallas is legal, Fresno is legal, there's communities in Colorado that are legal, Rockledge, Florida is legal, there's stuff going on in North Carolina, in Texas. I mean, all over the country this stuff is becoming legal, and Tiny House Expedition is absolutely in the right place at the right time getting some incredible footage, and we're hoping to unveil the documentary at the Jamboree 2016, and it will be free on YouTube for everybody to share as a resource. Very cool. That's nice. amazing. Very cool. That is amazing. Thank you so much for your contribution and your support of that project. Like I said, that was my aha moment at the Jam last year. It's not about the money. It's about the zoning. Um, yeah. 
I even had a meetup group just last night. We had about, I think it was about 30 people show up. Um, almost all of them were first timers to the meetup and almost every single one of them said that they would have a tiny house tomorrow if they could figure out where to put it. So huge. We did, yeah, we did a workshop in DC with the tiny house collaborative recently. And that was the first question people wanted to ask is even before we got into any, you know, financing or building or buying or systems or design or any of that stuff, they were like, is it legal? Right. And which goes into the whole question of, well, kind of, where do you live? And how do <laughs> yeah. you advocate? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, do we have any time left on your, on your watch? No, we're pretty tied up on, on my side now. That's, that's so. what I thought. I want to be respectful. Thank you so yeah. much for your time and your passion and your support. And that's it for, wait a minute, Perry's here. Perry, close us out here. Thanks, listeners, for joining us on another episode of Tiny House Podcast. We'll see you next week when we talk with... Another guest. We have no friends. Anita. Never, never. Oh, is it Anita? I think it's Anita. You know what? Her tiny house was uh, was not where it usually is, so she's on her way to, I think she's going to... Colorado. Colorado, yeah. yeah. So we'll get to hear about her story of moving her tiny house. Oh, fun. Awesome. See ya. Thank you, Kai. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 